welcome to Theology Thursday, an ecumenical space for students to discuss matters of faith and theology. I'm your host, Connor Grubbs. I am your co-host, Ryan Mock. And I'm your co-co-host, Johnny Grubbs. Well, here we are, gentlemen. It is time for our first ever... This is a historical moment, really, if you think about it. This is the first time that we have ever gone through a book of the Bible verse by verse. We did a couple introductory episodes, and now we're, we're doing it. Revelation chapter 1. We're here. Here we go. Let's do it. So, without further ado, Revelation chapter 1. Uh, I think we're going to start here by... Uh, I don't know, Ryan, if you have it pulled up. Well, well, I have it pulled up. You know what? I got it. We're good. We're gonna. I'm going to read... Um, Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. We're just going to read it, and then we'll start. By the way, before you start, highly recommend, as you listen to the podcast, if you're able to, pull up the chapter so you could read it along with us. Yeah, I have the ESV pulled up currently. Is that What about you? I have the ESV pulled up, but I'm, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, because I know that would make Johnny happy. I do like this ESV. Okay. Here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near." John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. That's, that's pretty neat. There's a lot of stuff there. Okay, so to be completely honest, uh, as I was reading this and studying this, this quickly became a, fra- a favorite of mine. I love this passage. Well, you know, what's funny is I remember reading it initially, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a super short episode. Like, it's just it's just an intro. This is pretty basic stuff. And then I started studying it more, and I was like, oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot here, even just in these first eight verses. What I love about this, these first eight verses, and really all of chapter one, but particularly these first eight verses is it's all about jesus yeah absolutely it's, it's just it's it's just a a great testimony to who jesus is and as as we look through that we're going to see we're just going to show kind of the different aspects of who jesus is that he's human and he's god and he died for us and he resurrected all of that is is mentioned in some way in this in this first chapter and so I think it's a, I think it's a very beautiful introduction to who Jesus is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there, there's just in the first three verses his sort of address. We see him 
connect dots to other types of literature. Okay, so there's there's kind of multiple genres going on here, and we sort of talked about this in our introduction, but this is um, this is an epistle. It's a letter to mm-hmm. churches. It's also apocalyptic literature, mm-hmm. and uh, it's also prophetic in nature. Like, there's a lot of ties to Old Testament prophecy. Mm-hmm. So and and in an Israelite leader in that time would have noticed all that stuff. Yeah. Um, because the way that he addresses it, that's kind of a long address, those first three verses, but it's it it establishes all of those kind of genres yeah. there. And and Revelation's really rich in that because John could read the Septuagint in, in Greek, but he also could read it in the original Hebrew. So he had both perspectives going on. When he would when we when he like cites back to Ezekiel and Daniel He's got like the full breadth of the understanding of it. So yeah, like, and definitely when you read Revelation, and you could even see it in this first chapter, John is a man who deeply knows and loves the scriptures. Yeah. Like Revelation, and even I just see this in this first passage, Revelation is chock full of references to uh, the Hebrew scriptures, um, to Daniel in particular, but the Psalms and Isaiah and all sorts of different passages are, are going to be alluded to in uh, in Revelation. Oh yeah, he pulls all from the Old Testament, and, and it's one of the reasons that a, a, a Jewish reader at the time who knew these scriptures well would have immediately caught all these connections, mm-hmm. um, because they were already so immersed in it and we even if we study the bible i think just in in modern western church we spend a lot more time emphasizing the new testament so we're not as familiar per se with a lot of the old testament connections so it's something to look for mm-hmm. also uh to note is he opens with very strong language like stating right off the bat that this is a message from jesus so it's very authoritative it's very He's emphasizing the fact that this isn't just me. This is me sharing the words of Christ. Yeah, Yeah, it reads, The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so he's clearly and boldly locating it within the same tradition of Israelite prophecy. And then he's saying that it's also it's from Jesus. And there's sort of this four-stage process that's lined out. God gives it to Jesus Jesus gives it to what appears to be an angel, and they mediate it to John, and John writes it down for the churches. So there's this process. But that word angel um, is also translated messenger, like there's, that's another way of understanding it. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people even interpret that as, as that was just the form that Jesus himself appeared to John to give him uh the 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 revelation um others think that it was a whole separate angel that was sent to give it to him uh what do you guys make of that because i i found some conflicting views on that yeah i I, honestly this is this is i have a lot of opinions on revelation chapter one here that i've studied for this is one i haven't studied on okay so i'm kind of i'm kind of an open book when it comes to that i i would argue that whether it was uh, 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 an angel, or it was Jesus himself, uh, the 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 outcome is still the same. The The important thing that he's emphasizing here is that this was a message from Jesus. Certainly. Um, and so, uh, the other thing that John does is while he's, and even by emphasizing the authority of Christ that this message carries, he's also closely aligning himself with the people. He calls himself a slave, and, and the authority 
of this letter is comes from Christ, not him. And so he's both saying, hey, pay attention. This is important. There's authority and power in these words. But he's also identifying himself with the reader, with yeah. the audience, by saying, it's not from me. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm receiving this just as you are. So. Yeah. And then he, he says something kind of uh, interesting. He says that this is a revelation of what must soon take place. Mm. And so, I mean, he's, I mean we're 2,000 years uh, removed from this. And so why does he say this must soon take place? What is he talking about? Well, I mean, what do you think he's talking about? I don't know. What do you think he's talking about, Well, Ryan? I mean, I think that this, this phrase is repeated again in Revelation. Mm-hmm. And it's repeated in Revelation twenty two six, and in twenty in Revelation twenty two six, it's used in reference uh, to uh, his return, the Lord's return. It says, and uh, he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And then it talks about Jesus; he's coming soon. And so that's what I, I mean, I think this phrase is referring to the return of Jesus. Um, and so it's, I don't know, it's interesting he uses that this is going to soon take place. Um, yet it's 2,000 years removed from us, and Jesus hasn't returned yet. Um, but I think that he will. And uh, I think this is relevant for us, that that at any moment in time, this is soon to take place. And so that... We should be on guard. We should be ready. We should prepare our hearts for his return. Yeah. Soon is an intentionally vague device, right? I mean, soon is relative to whatever, you know, uh, standard you're using. And, and God has his own standards of time. So soon is, it, whenever he returns, it'll be soon. On the flip <laughs> side, too, what we're going to read in Revelation is that there there is going to be persecution uh uh, of the church and even the churches that that john is writing to and so in a very real way in a very literal way persecution will be coming soon yeah to them no there's a lot of things that talks about that are are pertinent to the time of the readers um but also um yes to to live in expectation of the second coming of christ Mm -hmm. um and and you know, another thing is he's he's always and this this is is a continuing theme throughout um, the book. He's always really closely aligning Jesus and God. They're fairly clearly interchangeable throughout oh, yeah. this book. Yeah, uh, Revelation is really a strong part of the case for Christ's divinity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people often go to some of the things that Jesus said in the Gospels, which is also important. He certainly claims to be divine, to be God, but. Um, John very clearly sees that and yeah. teaches that here as well. Yeah, as we as we continue through this, there will definitely be a few verses that really make that that magnify that idea that Jesus is God. Yeah. But then also on the on the flip side too, that Jesus is man. Yeah, right. So we're um, gonna see that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and there's also some sort of instructions almost for a reader that you'll see throughout the book. So this is. It's meant for a public kind of liturgical setting to be read out loud because Mm -hmm. all the letters were. It wasn't not everyone was literate. So they'd send these letters to the churches and a designated reader would stand up and read aloud in a public setting. 
Um, that tradition dates back to the Old Testament as well. It was actually right. a spiritual practice to read scripture publicly and aloud. It's almost like we should still be doing that. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, but but you see that in the way that Scripture is written. There's certain repeating phrases and things that you notice more when it's read out loud mm-hmm. um, than when you're kind of studying it in bite-sized pieces. So, Especially like, since it's written to be read out loud. Exactly. Most of the Bible is actually written to be read out loud so that certain hyperlinks hit with the, the listener. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I assume you're referring to verse 3 here. Yes. Yes. So it says, yeah, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. Yeah, and that phrase will be repeated multiple times throughout the book, and um, it's it's important. And so. to, to me, from reading this, like, why why is it a blessing that these uh, for these words to be read aloud? And I think it's it, it blesses those who who read it and hear it because these words are words of comfort. Because these churches they ought to be yeah yeah they, they ought to be these these churches are going into they're entering into times of persecution and tribulation and hardship. And as we read this, when we read Revelation, uh, we see the power of Jesus and the triumph of Jesus over his enemies and our enemies. And, gosh, that should be comfort to us. And so, yes, blessed is the one who reads these words and hears these words because it provides them comfort. Yeah. And so that applies to the church back then, and it certainly applies to us today. Absolutely. And so we see, we see these parallels to um, the prophetic literature. We see to the epistles, even like similar to how Paul would address some of his um, letters. Um, but also there's a lot of parallels to the epistles popular apocalyptic literature of the time uh, the apocalypses of you know baruch enoch adam all worth reading mm-hmm. um but he puts this above those by linking it directly to jesus um that this is a, a revelation from jesus not just anyone um and so um yeah let's see um, it, uh, if you also pay attention, and we'll kind of revisit this when we wrap up the series, there is a lot in the first chapter that gets mentioned again in the last chapter. There's this mm-hmm. sort of, and again, that's part of the you know reading aloud mm-hmm. and repeating ideas, is a lot of things that are m- mentioned in the introduction get repeated at the end to sort of tie it all together and bring it to a close. Um, so speaking of things being repeated... Um, to go into verse 4, we're introduced to uh, the seven churches in Asia. And uh, so this is John writing to the seven churches in Asia. And uh, I just want to spend one quick moment on that number seven, because uh, that's I'm, I'm not quite done with oh. those first three verses yet. I'm so sorry. Let me just... Let me, ahead of I, was, us, I was getting excited. I'm, I'm like, sorry. Let's, let's I, jump I, into I, numerology and... I, I, I'd love to. I just want to mention like a couple of phrases that he mentions in verse 1 and verse 3. He talks about the Lord's servant, what must soon come to pass, for the time is near. All that language is echoing the book of Daniel. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot that echoes the book of Daniel, mm-hmm. particularly chapter 7 in this first chapter. Um... And the only other thing I wanted to note is at in verse 3, when it talks about blessed is the one who reads this aloud, that is the first of seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Mm. Um, so there are, we're, we'll keep an eye out for those other blessings throughout the book, but that's the first of them. And uh, interesting to note that there is seven. That number is going to come up a lot. Um, so 
Um, yes, that's all. I just wanted to point that out. That first of, especially that first of the seven beatitudes thing. Now, verse four. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, so yeah. John is writing to seven churches in Asia, and so this is like his greeting. He says, "Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come." Before we get to that, yeah, seven churches. We're introduced to this number seven, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna see this number a lot in scripture. And I know, like when we start talking about numerology, like sometimes red flags go off. You start sounding like some crazy dude who's like at monster energy drink means 666 and it's the devil um we're not we're not going there um but we do know when we read apocalyptic literature and a lot of other literature in the bible numerology is used and so seven is a very important number in uh in the bible because seven often denotes uh perfection or completeness or wholeness and so when you see seven is particularly in Revelation, think that, that we're referring to wholeness. And so when I see that John is writing to the seven churches in Asia, and we're going to see this again later down, um, that to me signifies that not only is John talking to seven literal churches, but I think he's talking to the whole church. Yeah, so that that's one way that a lot of people uh, would interpret that. I, I, I do think it's important to note, I don't think the seven churches are figurative. Like, no. He is literally they're, 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 writing yeah. to these seven churches. Literal churches, yeah. And it is interesting, you know, some people will point out that they they sort of geographically make this sort of circle around uh, through Asia Minor, yeah. where the churches are located. And it's like, ooh, uh, that was a practical thing for, like, traveling routes, for sending messages. Right, yeah. exactly. And where those all these seven cities are located, it would have been easy. And this is another thing that kind of denotes that it was. it's also for the whole church. Um, those were kind of strategic locations for the message to get out to other surrounding churches. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something weird in the other part of this verse. We didn't finish verse 4. And then it says... And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Ah. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was and is um, and, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, before God's throne. So what's going on with these seven spirits? Okay, so I am aware of three different interpretations of this. And there's probably more. Um, but this is just what I'm aware of, and I do have my opinion on what this refers to. I'm intrigued because I'm only aware of two okay. in my studies. So, so uh, the first interpre- interpretation I'm aware of is the seven spirits refers to seven angels. Okay, right, um, seven messengers, right? Yes. Um, I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm not convinced, unless if you are. Oh, no, I'm going <laughs> to let you go ahead and go through the, the different interpretations. I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, there's the, the seven me, angels. Okay, you want me to give the other two interpretations? Yes. Before I give my opinion? Yeah. Okay, I wonder so, if they're the same ones. I, I think I know what you where you're going. Okay, so um, the, the second interpretation I'm aware of is that these are symbols of divine majesty, that these are, are powerful beings through which God blesses the church in whatever way. Hmm. Um, and then the third interpretation I'm aware of is that this actually refers to the Holy Spirit. Okay. Oh, so, okay. So the only one you didn't mention is also there's that this is seven human messengers, that this yeah. is literally referring to the readers in the ah, seven churches. Okay. Okay, so that's one interpretation. I actually favor the interpretation that it's referring to the Holy Spirit. 
I do too. Um, so because there's this very Trinitarian bend to the, that verse four and five, you, yes. you see God the Father, you see Jesus, but and so the Holy Spirit, we get the seven spirits, and yeah. so it seems to me that John is setting up a Trinitarian greeting. Yes, uh, certainly, and so uh, basically, there's an understanding. Um, that what John means is the Holy Spirit distributed in his wholeness, his fullness, to each of the seven yeah. churches in Asia. And to, to bring up uh, to, to bring up a, a different reference and, to Scripture. And, uh, sorry, I just want to finish that thought. It, in, in, in that, representative, the Holy Spirit representative to all churches, just like you were mentioning earlier yeah. with the number seven. Yeah, so this idea of seven to denote the Holy Spirit is not... A, this is not a new invention in Revelation. This this could be a callback to uh, to Zechariah uh, chapter four. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Yeah, while you pull it up, I'll just say like, um, and I didn't get a lot of time just to study about this, but the only two that I got were like, okay, the literal messengers, right? Because that, that word is interchangeable. Right. You just mean messenger. So it's like it's like the key leaders in the churches or maybe all of the entire congregation. And then the other one being that they were like literal angels. I think the, the second interpretation you gave of them being like spiritual beings yeah. and, you know, specifically, you know, routed for those churches or whatever yeah. um, is an interesting one as well. Yeah, Zechariah 4, starting in verse 2, uh, uh, Zechariah has his vision, and his vision he sees a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it, and there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and one on its left, and this is a very confusing image, I have to actually Google image this to see if I could, like, kind of visualize what this looks like, um, but it goes down in verse 6, uh, Zechariah's like, uh, the angel's like, do you know what these are? And Zechariah's like, no, I have no idea what I'm looking at. And so in verse 6, uh, the angel says, this is the word of the Lord to uh, Zerubbabel, uh, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so the so in this image, the seven uh, lamps are the Holy Spirit. Um, and so uh, he says down in verse uh, attend that these seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Okay, so it it, it, it kind of makes sense that this refers to the power, the work of the Spirit uh, uh, through the world. Um, and really, to me, it's what does it for me is like, this is clearly, to me, John setting up this Trinitarian uh, formula, this Trinitarian greeting. Um, the seven angels interpretation it doesn't make sense because angels are not referred to as spirits in Revelation. Right. It's always they're always called angels, yeah. not spirits. So that doesn't make sense. And then the the whole symbols of divine majesty, I don't think it works because it doesn't fit the Trinitarian greeting. Right. And I and I'll also say going throughout the rest of the book, another thing that Revelation I talked about how it's a, makes a strong case for the divinity of Christ. This is a book to go to. It also makes a very strong case for the Trinity. I yes. think probably more so than any other book of the Bible. Yeah. And I never realized that before. But going through it this time, I'm like, oh, if you want to defend the Trinity and why that's such an important doctrine, go to the book of Revelation. It is all over this book. Yeah. Can we break off a little bit? And Because I feel like this is a perfect segue to, to one of the points that I was going to make later on, but it, it'll kind of set up. I mean, so that seven lampstands happens a lot in apocalyptic literature. 
And what a lot of people don't realize is that's the menorah. That's actually the menorah because there's seven lamps on the menorah yeah. itself. And and where is that located? It's in, in the tabernacle. Right. So it, I feel like we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because that's in the following verses. Yeah, not yeah, but it is in the following verses, but I'm just saying this is a this is this is this connects the thread of apocalyptic literature right there's always right. these indications in apocalyptic literature that oh i'm actually in the presence of god to receive something from god right which we'll see in the next passage with the seven lampstands or yeah. the menorah really yeah so it definitely sets that up for sure um so in 5 and 6 from jesus christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I don't have any special notes on this. I think that's pretty straightforward. Um, yeah, except... If you have anything you want to add. I will add that uh, this... Uh, I just like the line where he uh, he says that, uh, that Jesus makes us priests. And uh, that echoes Exodus 19, what is it, Exodus 19, 5 through 6. Um, God says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and mm -hmm. a holy nation. And so we, we see that fulfilled in us, right? We are the kingdom of priests. And that's because of Jesus' work. It's pretty cool. Um, behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. So that image of him coming in the clouds, that's also from the book of Daniel, echoes some previous prophetic literature. Yeah, let me read it for you. Daniel 7, uh, what is it? Daniel seven thirteen. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. So Daniel 7 is a passage we're going to come back to a lot. Yes. Yes, yes. a lot. A that lot. phrase, the Son of Man. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it, but yes. Yes. But anyways, yeah, to open up this uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 7, look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see, even those who pierced him. So this was likely a liturgical passage that was composed and circulated in the early church. Um and it, this is actually the first reference to Jesus' return in Revelation. Yes. Um, and a very majestic uh, yes. image of it. So, yeah, um, coming on the clouds, that is a phrase that's used uh, quite a bit in Scripture. We see it in Daniel 7. We also see it in Isaiah 19.1, and I don't think I'm going to read it for you here. Actually, I will. An oracle concerning uh, Egypt, behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and coming to Egypt. And the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt with them. We also see it in Matthew 26 and Matthew 24, when Jesus refers to his own coming. Uh, and we see it in 1 Thessalonians 4:17 in reference to Jesus' return as well. And so, yeah, this coming on the clouds, that is uh, imagery of Jesus' return, but it's also used in the Old Testament to refer to God. So, again, we see this kind of connection between Jesus and God. And then Daniel 7, where we see it referenced with the Son of Man. We're going to talk about Son of Man later. Yeah. Um, okay, and then, and then also it says there that um, all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. So there's this, this mourning that happens. And, and there's some um, 
is is it mourning because of the judgment that they know will be upon him, or is it a, a, a repentance? Is is everyone repenting at the coming of Christ? Yeah, I, I've heard both. I, I mean, I don't know. I think if you pay close, <laughs> if you pay close attention to the rest of the book, there is a case to be made for a universal reconciliation theology in the Book of Revelation. Um, but that verse by itself is, I think, a very weak case, but apparently some people use that. But I think in tandem with the rest of the book, you might have something. Yeah, the... Um, um, it is certainly within the realms of orthodoxy, um, but it is sort of a fringe yeah. view. And the, the, uh, it used to be in the early church, but... Yeah. Right, we've talked about that yeah. before. The line where it says, "Every I will see him and even those who pierced him, that's a callback to Zechariah 12.10, mm-hmm. where it says, I'll pour out my pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me on him whom they have pierced they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one who weeps over a firstborn so again more more callbacks yep and then the final verse of this section I'm the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God who was who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty um so yeah who's saying that is that god or is it jesus is it both says the lord god it seems to be fairly interchangeable that's what i was saying yes. earlier so yeah so god says this he's god says he's the alpha and omega in verse 8 and then we see in verse 18 jesus that jesus says it when he says uh i am the first and the last and then we see it again that God says that he's the Alpha and Omega beginning and end in 26, 21.6. And then Christ says it, that he's the Alpha and Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end in chapter 22, verse 13. Yeah. So it's interchangeable. And again, Revelation here is signifying, is pointing towards Christ's divinity and oneness with the Father. You can't avoid it. You absolutely cannot avoid it. Yeah, and I think Christians are fairly familiar with the Alpha and Omega phrase, but if you're listening to this because you're new to this and you're like, oh, Revelation, I want to see what that's all about. It seems weird. Um, Alpha and Omega is the first and last letters of the Greek Alpha. It's the same. I'm I'm the A to Z. You know, I I am the first and the last. So that's that's fairly similar. And he'll say it again. That's another one of these phrases that pops up at at the end of the book as well. Um, Sort of one of those bookend, beginning and end type things. All right, yeah. I mean, I honestly thought this was going to be like a one-episode sort of thing. This is a two-episode sort of thing. We got the prologue, and that's today's episode. And then remember, we are every other week this season, so soon we will come back. um, Not next Thursday, but the following Thursday, we'll have part two of this where we finish chapter one. So thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, For those who are Patreon supporters or who want to be Patreon supporters, remember, um, we have Subpoints, which is our after show, which is available. We will be talking about some of the trigger state laws in uh, light of Roe v. Wade. Um, That's only available to Patreon supporters. So if you're interested in hearing more of that conversation, be sure to subscribe. Uh, Thank you, and have a fantastic week, Ryan. Yeah, eat.